This is our seventh session, I think our last session, on Colossians 3, 18 to 21. And now we come to verse 21, but let's read it in context. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become embittered toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. And now, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So, Father in heaven, some of us are called to be fathers on earth, and I ask you, as our heavenly Father, that from this simple verse, you would teach us profound and important things about our roles, whether we are fathers-to-be or grand or great-grandfathers. Show us, Lord, and show the women how to support and help us in this responsibility that shows up so markedly here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I call it a responsibility here because it is a special responsibility. Notice, um, when it comes to the children whom they are to obey, it says, children, obey your parents, so mothers and fathers. But when it gets to verse 21, it doesn't say parents or mothers and fathers. It says fathers, and it's the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents parents. But when it gets to the responsibility, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So there must be a reason why Paul would, would say mothers and fathers deserve the honor of being obeyed. But when it comes to this responsibility of teaching the children and rearing the children and not provoking the children and setting the tone for the entire family so that there's no excessive discouragement in the children that falls on the fathers in a special way. So I would say there are a couple of pointers to that, namely, wives be subject to your husbands, so uh, husbands are, are the, the head of the wife, and since the children are subject to the mother, therefore he's, he's the head of the family. Children, obey your mothers. Mothers, submit to the fathers. So he has a special role as the head of the family, or you could say a representative. If there's going to be a representative of the authority of the parents, Paul says, fathers, in your responsibility as the head of your wives, you bear the unique responsibility of representing mother and father in this work. And I think most important would be a third thing, namely a special responsibility. So often we 
get into squabbles about the authority of husbands and submissive nature of wives and treat the role of the head as a role who has rights. And Paul doesn't talk about it that way. He talks about it in terms of responsibilities. So I don't think of my role over against Noel as rights. I think I'm called to bear a unique responsibility for the family here. So that's why I think he shifts to fathers rather than just parents or mothers and fathers. And then he says, fathers, and the thing he picks out to say to them is, don't provoke your children. What an interesting thing to say of all the things that he could have said to fathers with regard to their responsibility. He chooses to say, don't provoke. And this would be stir up to anger. But anger is not what he focuses on, is it? Don't provoke them. He doesn't say, lest they become angry. He says, lest they become discouraged or dispirited. This is interesting. Evidently, there is an excess, or let's just say a wrong way to require obedience. So children are to obey their parents, which means parents should expect their children to obey, which means parents can tell children to do things. Go get your pajamas on. It's 7.15. We're going to be having devotions at 7.30. You're going to be in bed by 8. So run upstairs, get your pajamas on, come down, and we'll read together. And they don't do it, and you should require that they do it. Now, what if a child, in response to good, healthy, ordinary requirements, becomes discouraged? This doesn't mean this, this verse 21 does not nullify verse 20, and verse 20 does not nullify verse 21. There must be something about this provoke which suggests there is a way to require obedience that's not good, right? It's this. This says there's a way for parents to require this which is not good. Now, what would that be? So I put the verse on one slide here just so I could make a list. So as I thought through this and I thought, what, what does he mean when he says he doesn't want us to uh, provoke? How, how might you require obedience? And you think you're justified, and you are, but then you do it in a way that provokes and thus disobeys this command. Now, you, you can't let the children blackmail you by pouting, right? We all understand wisdom is required here. If a child pouts because the parent says, you need to finish your egg before you get down from the table, and he just sits there with his bottom lip stuck out, like my wife used to say, look, you keep that bottom lip stuck out, the frog's going to jump on it. You don't allow a child's pouting to coerce you into relinquishing the command. So there is a, there is a 
provoking that is not the parent's problem, and there's a provoking that is the dad's problem, and that's what I want to figure out. What would that be? What would it look like? And I, I think I've got a list of eight things. Let me just say them real quick. Nagging. That would mean he says it over and over. You don't need to say it again, Daddy. I heard you the first time. Stop nagging me, please. So nagging, excessive repetition of a command, or only demands. A dad never does anything but demands. He never has a conversation with the kid. He never congratulates the kid. He never celebrates anything. He only demands, 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 demands. And this kid only knows his dad as a commanding drill sergeant. That's provoking and unnecessary and wrong. Or only angry demands. His attitude, dad's attitude is always angry. That's not good. Or he's only with blows. Dad's always swatting at me when he asks me to do something. Unprovoked. That's not right. Number five. Embarrassing. Dad manages to ask me to do things in front of people that are so obvious, it's embarrassing. He treats me like a three-year-old when I'm a nine-year-old. Or it's uh, belittling when nobody's around. He treats me like a jerk. He calls me names when he asks me to do something. Or uh, impossible demands. He asks me to do what I can't do. He says, take the garbage out and be back in in 30 seconds. You can't do that, Daddy. You can't get to the driveway. Impossible demands. Or here may be the most important ones. No gospel. And I mean that in two senses. No gospel spoken. In other words, you never, you never explain to the kid how he can enjoy the forgiveness of his sins. And so there's no milieu in which sweet forgiveness is, can be enjoyed, and he never embodies it. He never forgives the kid for doing wrong. So those are some of the ways that came to my mind when I thought, how could you provoke your child to discouragement? Now, one last thing, or maybe two last things on this word discouraged or dispirited. This is remarkable to me that Paul is jealous that you don't knock the spirit out of your child. So you got a three-year-old or a five-year-old, and little by little, the child is having the very, the very spirit of life knocked out of him. He becomes listless, apathetic, no energy for anything because dad has simply knocked life out of him instead of stirring life up within him. And I'm, I'm treating this, this word here, um, athumosine, having the, the life or the spirit knocked out of you, dispirited, discouraged, I'm treating that as natural. I'm not saying yet that the child is even a Christian. This is a natural 
tragedy. Life is being knocked out of this little kid before he even can understand fully what the gospel is. Now, why is that such a bad thing? The reason that is such a bad thing is that God builds on natural powers. The new creation, when a person becomes a Christian, the new creation does not start with nothing. You see what I mean? This little, this little kid here brings to life a personality, and God saves that personality. He doesn't recreate it entirely. He sanctifies it. He consecrates it, and then he uses it. And remarkably, he can use some very, very broken personalities. But dad is called upon don't prepare your kid to be a broken vessel with no life spirit that God can take and sanctify and channel into his purposes. Give the child a chance by not knocking the spirit of life out of him. And a lot of people, when they try to think, okay, what's the opposite here of discourage? And of course, the answer is encourage. Dads, encourage your kids. And in the modern world where we live, almost the only people can think of by encourage is build self-esteem. That's not what the New Testament means by encourage. Encourage means give them hope. Give them hope in God. Give them hope in God that he uses, he can use them. There is a sense of self. Oh, yes, there is. But it, it begins with God, then God's promises and gospel, hope. Prom, I can't spell and talk at the same time. Promises. And that promise produces hope. And that hope is that God can take them with all their life and their gifts and their personality and use them. <laughs>